Well, are you as surprised to see me as I am to see you? This is something I was not expecting, but uh, I'm glad I'm here. And if you just bow your heads with me for a minute, I'm going to ask the Lord's blessing. Our kind Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for being who you are. I just ask that you're with me today, that you give my lips, uh, help them to say the right things and help your ears, the ears of these people to pick up and, and apply what we talk about. We just praise you, Father, for everything you do, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Harold kind of alluded a little earlier this morning that uh, there's been some interesting things happen this last week in our country. And I think I, I mentioned to some of you earlier, uh, earlier this week, I had been in communication with Harold and said, you know, I think on the 6th and on the 20th, we're going to see some interesting results. And uh, he fired back a message that really resonates. And he said, yeah, things might be really screwy in this country, but guess what? God is in control. So yeah, that's great. Um, when I have my Sabbath school class, uh, many times I like to give little tidbits of maybe sometimes they're interesting things and sometimes they're not so interesting things and sometimes they're stupid things. But I read this this morning and I thought, you know, this is a really stupid thing. Um, how many of you have got $777 you can afford to buy a hamburger with? If you go to Las Vegas right now, there's a place where you can get a hamburger that costs you $777. I don't know many people who have the kind of money that they can throw out on a $700 hamburger, but it makes you wonder. Uh, and again, uh, I would just like to say, Ryan and Jennifer, we're going to miss you guys. Um, it's been really great getting to know you and having you here. So Godspeed to wherever you go. One of the first things I can remember when I was growing up is a song. And I'm sure that many of you have probably heard the same song, Jesus Loves Me. This I know. How many of you heard that from childhood? Most everybody here. Uh, isn't it comforting to know that Jesus loves you and forgives you? That's great. What would your life be like if nobody loved you? Dr. James Dobson, in his book, Hide or Seek, tells this story. He began his life with all the classic handicaps and disadvantages. His mother was a powerfully built, dominating woman who found it difficult to love anybody. She'd been married three times and her second husband left her because she continuously beat him up. The father I'm describing was her third husband he died of a heart attack a few months before the child's birth. And as a consequence, the mother had to work long hours away from home and away from her son. She gave him no affection, no love, no discipline, no training during those early years. She even forbade him from calling her at work. Other children had little to do with him. He was alone most of the time. 
He was absolutely rejected from his earliest childhood. He was poor, untrained, and unlovable. When he was 13 years old, a school psychologist said he probably doesn't even know what the word love means. During adolescence, the girls would have nothing to do with him, and he fought constantly with the boys. Despite a high IQ, he failed academically, finally dropped out of high school during the middle of his junior year. He thought he might find a new acceptance in the Marine Corps because he heard that they built men and he wanted so bad to be a man. But his problems, they just went with him. The other Marines laughed at him, they ridiculed him. He fought back, resisted authority, finally was court-martialed and thrown out of the Marines with a dishonorable discharge. So there he was, a young man in his early 20s, absolutely friendless and shipwrecked. He was small and scrawny in nature. He had an adolescent squeak in his voice. He was balding. He had no talent, no skill, no sense of worthiness. He didn't even have a driver's license. Once again, he thought he could run from his problems and so he went to live in a foreign country. But he was rejected there too. Nothing had changed. While there, he married a girl who herself had been a disadvantaged child and he brought her back to America with him. Soon she began to develop the same contempt for him that everyone else displayed. She bore him two children, but he never enjoyed the status status and respect that a father should have. His marriage continued to crumble. His wife demanded more and more things that he could not provide. Instead of being his ally against the bitter world, as he hoped, she became his most vicious opponent. She could outfight him, she learned to bully him, and one time she even locked him in the bathroom as punishment. Finally, she forced him to leave. He tried to make it on his own, but he was terribly lonely. And after days of solitude, he went home and literally begged her to take him back. He surrendered all pride. He crawled. He accepted humiliation. And despite his meager salary, he brought her $78 and told her she could do whatever she wanted with it. But she laughed at him. She belittled his feeble attempts to supply the family's needs. She ridiculed his failure. And at one point, he fell on his knees and whipped bitterly because his life was just in the pits. Finally, in silence, he pleaded no more. No one had ever wanted him. He was perhaps the most rejected man of our time. His ego lay shattered on the floor. The next day, he was a strangely different man. He arose, went to the garage, and took down a rifle that he had hidden there. He carried it with him to his newly acquired job at a book supply storage building. And from a window on the sixth floor of that building, shortly after noon on November 22, 
1963, he sent two bullets into the head of President John Fitzgerald Kennedy. Lee Harvey Oswald, the rejected, unlovable failure, killed the one man who more than any other man on earth embodied the success, beauty, wealth, and family affection that he had so hoped for. Acceptance and love is what we humans crave more than anything else in life. Years ago, in my Sabbath school class, we were talking about how much our Heavenly Father loved us, how good He was to us, the things that He had done for us. And a lady in the class started crying. You see, she, like Lee Harvey Oswald, had never experienced a loving relationship in her whole life. Her father had treated her poorly. Her mother was basically non-existent. And as much as she desired that kind of love, she just couldn't relate to what we were talking about when we said, God loves us so much. Did you ever feel you wanted someone, perhaps a special someone, to come up and just give you a big hug, hold you tight, and tell you how much they love you or that they forgave you? Love and forgiveness is so important. Love and forgiveness changes lives. Brings me back to that verse, Jesus loves me, this I know. A name maybe you're familiar with, Gary Leon Ridgway, better known maybe as the infamous Green River Killer. In 2003, he confessed to the murder of 48 women. In 2011, Ridgway was also convicted of the uh, murder of Rebecca Moreto, bringing the official victim count to 49, and by his own admission, he killed at least 60 women. At Ridgway's 2003 sentencing, the families of the victims had the opportunity to speak out and address Ridgway directly. Understandably, many were angry, and they lashed out at Ridgway for the unimaginable grief and pain that he had put them through. As Ridgway stonily listened to the family members express their grief and their anger, one person came up and said something that was totally, totally unexpected. When the time came for Robert Rule, the father of teenage victim Linda Jane Rule, to speak, Ridgway finally showed a glimmer of remorse. Rule's words to Ridgway were, Mr. Ridgway, there are a lot of people here that hate you. I'm not one of them, but you've made it difficult to live up to what I believe and to what God says to do, and that's to forgive. Mr. Ridgway, I want you to know that I forgive you. <clears throat> These words brought tears to Ridgway's eyes. 1 John 4, 7 and 9 tells us that if we don't love others, we don't know God because God is love. 
And actually forgiveness is not about others, but also about our own spiritual growth. Love and forgiveness cannot be separated. If we choose to live out the love of God as the purpose of our life, then forgiving is an option that we can't avoid. How many of you believe that loving others is important? Not just to those who love us back. How many times have you been down and someone has kicked you while you're down and you think revenge or payback? Um, we think of the life of Lee Harvey Oswald. You know, love is usually thought of as a, as a feeling, but in reality, love is a choice and an action. God, out of love, made the choice to love us and forgive us. And we're all familiar with the verse in John 3.16 where it says, God loved us so much that he was willing to send his only begotten son, the creator of all things, from the glories of heaven, from the adoration of the angels, to come to this world, to take on humanity, to take on our sins, to accept our punishment and die in our place so that we could make the choice to spend eternity with him. Like Mr. Rule said to Mr. Ridgway, you are forgiven, sir. Jesus, out of love, says to each one of us, you are forgiven. And that brings up the question, did we deserve to be forgiven? Titus 3.5 tells us he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy and his grace. Ephesians 2.4 says, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ. And in verse 8, it tells us, it is by grace that you have been saved. You ever think about what's the difference between mercy and grace? I had someone tell me, mercy is God not giving us what we deserve. And grace is what God is giving us that we don't deserve. Uh, as an example, like when a man is on death row and the day before his execution is to take place, the governor commutes his sentence, that's grace. And I love the acrostic for grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. You know, it was a free thing for us, but God paid, God paid everything heaven had to offer. Do we show mercy and grace to those around us, whether they deserve it or not? What should our response be to God's unmeasurable love for us? And what does God expect from us? Micah 6, 8 asks this very question. What does the Lord require of you? And the answer is to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You know, we try all kinds of ways to please God, but God has made it very clear. His greatest desire is for his people to be just, to be merciful, and to be humble. In our effort to please God, we need to examine our own lives for these traits on a regular basis. 
Are we fair in our dealings with people? Do we show mercy to those who wrong us? John 13, 34 says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. And by, all, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus was a living example of God's love as we are to be living examples of Jesus' love. A flash of silver. That's all Nettie recalls about driving to work on August 10, 2011, when another car swerved into her lane and hit her head on. With her right leg pinned between the dashboard and the seat, she was in and out of consciousness for an hour while firefighters, emergency people, tried to extricate her. In the emergency room, convinced she was going to die, Nettie asked a nurse to pen a goodbye letter to her 11-year-old son, Dominic. She told him how proud she was of him and how sad she was to leave him. Her injuries were extensive, required 10 hours of emergency surgery. Her spleen, her appendix, two-thirds of her colon had to be removed. Besides nearly losing her right foot, Nettie broke her right arm and shattered her right heel. It wasn't until several weeks into her recovery did her lawyer break the awful news to her. The 63-year-old woman who had caused the accident had a blood alcohol level well over the legal limit. And before that, she said, I hadn't been angry. Accidents happen. But who's drunk at 8.15 in the morning and driving? Her distress only increased upon learning that the driver had only minimum auto insurance and that she was going to be saddled with some really hefty medical bills. Months into her recovery, her husband left her. And the last straw came the day before Thanksgiving when her boss called her in and let her go. All that devastation take a, took a toll, and I'm sure that some of you here can relate to that. Her anger was eating her alive, and it was then that she found peace in Jesus, and through prayer and study, she let Jesus clean the anger out of her heart. And in doing so, she found forgiveness for the woman who had caused her such pain. In August of 2012, Nettie was in the courtroom when the woman who caused the accident was sentenced to from 8 to 15 months. The woman looked so scared, she remembered. I couldn't imagine what was going through her mind. And afterward, Nettie approached the public defender and said, please let your client know that I forgive her. This gesture gave Nettie a huge sense of relief. She says, I wasn't in control of her actions that morning, but through Jesus, I am in complete control of how I respond from here on out. And I decided to choose forgiveness over hate and animosity. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, every day, we need to start with Jesus in our heart. Nettie is now a public speaker for MAD, Mothers Against Drunk Drivers, and every day, she says, I find something to be thankful for. 
I couldn't feel that gratitude without knowing that Jesus had forgiven me. How would we respond under the same conditions? Would we find forgiveness in our hearts and peace of mind resting in Jesus? You know, forgiveness is at the very core of our walk with Jesus and represents love in the highest form. But it can be so challenging for us to those who have hurt us or wronged us or taken away all that's precious to us. But God provided us with the greatest example we'll ever know by sending his son who knew no sin to be sin for us. Just moments before he took his last breath, he begged his father to forgive them for they know not what they do. I once read, the first to apologize is the bravest. The first to forgive is the strongest. And the first to forget is the happiest. I'd like to explore a few passages that deal with love and forgiveness. And to start, Matthew 6, 9 to 15. And I think, again, this is... <clears throat> a section of the Bible we're all familiar with, the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, pray something like this. Our Father in heaven, your name is sacred. The success of your kingdom is the only thing that matters. May your will be carried out on earth as it is in heaven. Please take care of us today and forgive us as we have forgiven others. Do not leave us alone when our loyalty to you is tested. Help us overcome every temptation which the evil one brings, for your kingdom, power, and glory will be forever. When you pray this way, though, you need to remember your prayer is conditional based on your attitude toward others. Colossians 3.13 says, Be tolerant of one another and forgive whatever grievances you have against each other, even as Christ has forgiven you. What does it mean to be tolerant? Have any of you have ever heard, Hey, it's my way or the highway. We need to respect what other people think. Ephesians 4.31 says, Put away bitterness, hostility, Anger, gossip, rioting, and holding grudges. Maybe we should have posted that on a big billboard this week. Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, considering and forgiving, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. <coughs> Don't judge or condemn people for what they've done. God doesn't condemn you for the hurt you've caused him. He forgives you. Treat others the same way. On October 2 of 2006, a man by the name of Charles Roberts walked into an Amish schoolhouse armed with three guns. There were 26 students in that schoolhouse. He allowed 15 boys, a pregnant female student, and three other adult females with infants to leave safely and held the rest of the girls captive. Notes that he left behind indicated uh, that he was angry with God and with himself because his infant daughter had died about nine years previously. Authorities were alerted and they soon arrived on the scene 
And not long after police arrived, Robert started shooting, killing three of the students and himself, and two later died in the hospital. In the face of such tragedy, one can only imagine the hurt and the anger the loved ones of the victims might feel. In an extraordinary demonstration of forgiveness, members of the Amish community, including family members, attended Robert's funeral and comforted his widow. The Amish community didn't stop there. They also offered financial support to Robert's widow. Isn't this what Jesus had in mind when he inspired Paul to write? There are three important things in life. Faith in God, hope for the future, and Christ-like love. But the greatest of these is love. Matthew 18 says, Then Peter asked Jesus, How many times do you think I should be willing to forgive my brother? Seven? Jesus said, Peter, it's not a question of how many times, but it's a question of your own attitude. If your attitude is right, you'll be able and willing to forgive him hundreds of times because you love him. John 8, 7 tells the story of Jesus and the woman. And they kept asking him what he thought they should do with the woman. And finally he straightened up, looked at them and said, Any one of you who has never sinned, let him throw the first stone. How many times have we been in a similar situation with a stone in our hand, and rather than showing compassion, we're ready to execute judgment. Matthew 6 says that's why you should make things right with others before you go to worship. And if, while you're worshiping or while you're in church, you remember you have something to make right, it's better for you to leave and go and make things right and come back later than to stay there and worship God with hatred and pride in your heart. Let me tell you how to experience real kindness. Love your enemies. Do something good for those who don't like you. Treat everyone as you would like them to treat you. Abraham Lincoln said once, you can fool some of the people some of the time, and some of the people all of the time, but you can't fool all of the people all of the time. How many of you have ever put the fish symbol on the back of your car? Anybody here? I think it's called, what is it, ichthys? Many years ago, uh, I stuck the fish symbol on the back of my green Honda. It cost me about a buck and about a minute to put on. But by doing so, I advertised myself to the people of Spokane that I was a Christian. I don't have anything against bumper stickers with an encouraging message such as, when raptured, this car will be unmanned. That's a comforting thought, isn't it? But I wonder how many believers unconsciously hope to impact the world with Christian slogans instead of allowing their conduct to make a difference. I have to admit that putting the fish on my car kind of made me feel good for a while. I've since discovered that non-believers really don't pay much attention to what we wear or what we display on our cars. Actually, I needed to put the fish symbol in my car, maybe right in the middle of my steering wheel, 
And then I can see if I behave on the road in such a way it visually tells others that I am truly a disciple of Christ. How do we behave? How do we treat each other? Do we walk the walk or just talk the talk? Do we know all the glib Christian cliches or do we actually practice what we preach? St. Francis of Assisi writes, preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. One of my favorite poems is one that I used in Sabbath school a few years, or a few years ago, a few weeks ago. It's by Edgar Guests, and I'm sure most of you have heard it, but I'd like to close with it. I'd rather see a sermon any day than hear one. I'd rather one should walk with me than merely tell the way. The eye is a better pupil and more willing than the ear. Fine counseling is confusing, but examples always clear. And the best of all preachers are the men who live their creeds. For to see good put in action is what everybody needs. I soon can learn to do it if you let me see it done. I can watch your hands in action but your tongue too fast may run. And the lecture you deliver may be very wise and true, but I'd rather get my lesson by observing what you do. For I might misunderstand you and the high advice you give, but there's no misunderstanding how you act and how you live. I hope you have a wonderful Sabbath day, and I think the musical group needs to come up now. Thank you. Trusting in Jesus, in his love, is something that is so sweet for all of us. Join us as we sing, Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus.
Why don't we stand for a benediction? Our most kind Heavenly Father, Creator of all things, Lord of the universe, our Heavenly Father, who loves us, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your many blessings. We thank you, Father, for treating us in such a wonderful way, for giving us the opportunity to have eternal life with you. We ask your blessing on us today as we leave. Be with every family here. Father, be with those who are not feeling well, uh, who maybe have problems of one kind or another. We look forward to your soon coming, Father, when it says we will be changed in an instant. We look forward to that. We look forward to going home. So be with us today, guide us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.